Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this monthly Market Insights, Phil Attreed, Head of Wealth Specialists, talks to Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, about the economic and market impacts of the recent events and ongoing war in Ukraine. If you are new to investing, want to learn more about investing, or want tips on how to manage your long-term financial plans, check out our sister podcast channel, Money Plan, available on Apple, Spotify and SoundCloud. Hello and welcome to the March episode of Monthly Market Insights. I'm Phil Attreed, Barclays Head of Wealth Specialist. And once again, I'm joined by Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer. Now, as is clearly apparent to all of our listeners, uh, the past month has brought yet more human suffering and tragedy heaped on a world that frankly has probably had its fill of challenges the last couple of years. Um, of course, our first thoughts do go out to all of the victims of the war in Ukraine. However, of course, this recording seeks to attempt to update and inform you, our listeners, about the economic and market impacts of the outcomes and the headlines of the events that are ensuing. Will, to start, uh, we do often tease you on a number of these calls and podcasts about the history lessons that you give us, but it's probably quite apt at the moment that we understand from you if there are indeed any lessons from history with regards to the sort of economic impacts and effects of war. Yeah, Phil, I mean, I seconded, obviously, at the moment, you know, times like this, again, it feels like focusing on the economy and the markets feels like missing the point for, from a, you know, by some distance. But like you say, we have a job to do. Now, from the perspective of the economy, you can approach it a couple of ways. So like I say, like you suggested, first, you can look at the, the history, the message from history, if there is any. It won't surprise you to know that there's a, there's been a whole load of work over the years, um, sort of academic and otherwise on, you know, the interaction of war and the economy. Uh, in fact, there are a large cohort of economic historians who argue that one of the primary reasons for Europe's um, surge to the economic top table earlier than almost anyone else in the, um, in the sort of 18th and 19th centuries was because it had been almost perpetually at war since the fall of the Roman Empire and that had equipped them better for colonial land grabs and all the economic uh, benefits we came with that, but also welfare states and, um, and how to sort of adapt to industrialism. But more recently, there's been um, a paper which quite interestingly focused, or a couple of papers that interestingly focused on the economic aftermath of pandemics versus wars. And they, there's one in particular I'm thinking of, looked at comparing 12 of uh, the biggest wars and 12 of the biggest pandemics since the 14th century. And like I say, now, a disclaimer, you've obviously got to be incredibly careful of how you interpret this data. 12 is a very small sample size. The differences are sometimes more instructive than the similarities, so on and so on. However, uh, broadly speaking, I think the message is, is, is relatively intuitive in terms of what you can think about. You know, whereas pandemics are seen to deflate, all things being equal, they you know, drive aggregate demand, inflation, and therefore interest rates, they tend to lower, as we've talked about you and I a lot. Wars do the opposite. Inflation tends to rise, as do interest rates. Wars tend to result in increased defence spend, as we are already seeing in Europe and Germany, the astonishing, uh, you know, change in policy there. But also, you know, widespread, you know, tragically destruction of physical capital, which, you know, tends to need to be replenished. So, you know, that's the broad message from history is that you probably get, you know, on average, and then, you know, there can be a huge dispersion of outcomes beyond that, but you get more inflation and you know, higher interest rates. 
And and so, I mean, turning to this situation more specifically, you know, what are some of the things that we should be thinking about when it comes to the impact maybe on the wider economy? Yeah, I mean, I think here particularly you can think of a number of extra things. One, you can think about the potential for, you know, decoupling of global supply chains between East and West, potentially the fragmentation of the global commodity market, which you're already seeing as further inflationary forces to keep an eye on. From the perspective of what Ukraine and Russia specifically are important to in terms of sort of supply chain or in terms of sort of producers, you know, oil, gas is the obvious one, but also cereals. Ukraine is very important in this area. Um, and, and you are seeing, as you know, you know, broad based surge in commodity prices in response to the ongoing escalations. Now, you know, in the short term, just looking at what we can expect from incoming economic data in the next few months, the world economy entered this crisis in, in relatively good and improving health. You know, you saw that from the latest US employment report, the latest batch of business confidence surveys, uh, you know, all suggest that the world economy was looking okay and improving uh, going into this thing. Now, the blow from commodity prices uh, in particular and pot- potentially kind of tightening financial conditions as a result as kind of people feel more more risk averse. That will obviously affect different parts of the world differently. You know, of the developed economies, it's obviously primarily Europe that suffers the greatest kind of stagflationary hit, you know, more inflation, mm-hmm. bit less growth. There's a huge reliance on Russia, Russia which is uh, Russian gas, which is a big part of that. Obviously, that's been spoken about a lot. Most European banks don't have much in the way of direct exposure to Russian loans, um, but you can keep an eye out for some of the Austrian banks, which have a little bit more proportionally. America, you know, on the other hand, is, is, is much more insulated in reality. You know, gas, petrol prices, as in prices at the pump, uh, they are a huge political issue. But, uh, you know, our overall sense is that as at the moment, the hit that is coming to the US economy is likely absorbable. The growth momentum going into the crisis is key, I think. Uh, however, also important, obviously, and this is something that everyone has pointed out, is that, you know, how long the crisis goes on for, you know, is there, a, you know, it, it, the degree of war contagion, so to speak, or are the countries sucked in directly? Now, our current baseline is that it's an unhelpful but absorbable uh, and unwelcome but absorbable kind of stagflationary hit for the global economy. But we're obviously following closely. The other thing just to keep an eye on, and we've just seen this in the news today and the last, uh, you know, seeing it sort of hit the wires now is the potential for unexpected policy outcomes. So, you know, one of the things that characterized the the aftermath of the, you know, the first hit of the pandemic, COVID-19, was policy response that people weren't quite expecting, the sort of so-called Alexander, Alexander Hamilton moment one of uh, for Europe. You're seeing the second Alexander Hamilton moment, or at least the potential for one. That's the moment when Europe suddenly gets its act together and moves a huge step forward in its integration process. Uh, And you've seen that potential today be raised and start to sort of boost equity markets and bond yields as a result, uh, as the talk of, you know, funding defence spend out of common bond issuance, which is something that people have looked for from Europe for a long time. Uh, So again, uh, you know, policy can go both ways in a way, can't it? And it's something else to watch with regards to the crisis. Quite. And maybe if we turn to investments next, you know, we've seen some fairly sharp falls and with it some pretty um, significant volatility as well, ups and downs even intraday. You referenced it there. We've seen a bit of a switch around today, but also some falls in other perceived riskier assets. 
But on the flip side, actually, you know, you referenced it earlier on, some of the commodity prices we've equally seen that you've referred to, you know, being helpful towards multi-asset class portfolios that hold them. So what are your general thoughts on, on sort of investment assets overall in recent weeks? Yeah, Phil, I mean, good question. I mean, I think you're right on the commodities that has provided welcome insulation. As you know, we talked about a lot. We added a big chunk of diversified commodities to portfolios at the beginning of last year, 2021, which was, you know, proved very helpful last year. And so far this year, they've been a good diversifier. More broadly, the work for sort of shorter term investors now, you know, tactical investors. And as you know, we have a specialist team that looks at this, you know, trying to add those kind of performance cherries to the overall cake um, of returns that we uh, hope to offer our clients on a regular basis. Uh, It's really about trying to establish how much of the various risks inherent in this situation and this awful situation are already incorporated into prices. As we saw with the pandemic, most of the assets in our portfolio, you know, most of the assets that you have access to in capital markets, stocks, bonds, all that kind of stuff, they're anticipatory in terms of, you know, the prices don't just wait for stuff to happen. Our investors don't just wait for stuff to happen. Uh, you know, investors are always updating a kind of probabilistic assessment of the range of potential outcomes um, from this point. You know, and there are a couple of ways of doing this, you know, this process of trying to establish what's already in there. You know, so as you know, there's the, the VIX index, which is kind of popularly known as the fear gauge. It's a measure of the stock market's expectation of volatility on the S&P 500, the US stock market um, based on S&P index options. And that has already risen to levels consistent with the kind of worst geopolitical crises of the post 1990s period so you know that that does give you some sense that some of the you know, potential worse outcomes of this crisis are already incorporated that's not to say all of them by any stretch unfortunately the another is is thinking about something called the equity risk premium and that's the extra return an investor demands over and above bonds for the risk of owning companies So it's that kind of extra volatility and risk that you get with stocks. um, And what do people want in excess of that? And that waxes and wanes according to various factors. It's not observable directly, so it's quite difficult. But again, you know, what you've tended to find is that um, since the beginning of the crisis, the equity risk, the rise in the equity risk premium, the rise in that excess expected return by our measures, is consistent, again, with what you saw in the aftermath for US equities of 9-11. It's about double in European equities what um, the, the, what we saw in terms of rise in equity risk premium after the Crimean um, annexation. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a bit in prices. Um, for commodities, it's a bit different because remember, the point here is that it's often made that this isn't an anticipatory asset. It's a spot asset. So basically, uh, you can't kick the can down the road with commodities. You have to find the supply today uh, and prices have to incentivize that supply. So somehow you've got to get, you know, suppliers uh, sufficient compensation for the risks that they perceive. And so that is something a bit different in commodities at the moment. And we just don't know where that level is. Uh, you're seeing it with oil and gas that you're seeing surges forward. And we're glad to hold some in portfolios at the moment. But we are also aware that those same commodity prices are going to create some problems for households and others down the road. So, you know, that's uh, that's something to keep an eye on. Quite. And I mean, that leads me nicely on to the final question. Are you and the investment teams maybe uh, making or considering any changes to investment portfolios and funds that we're managing for clients at the moment? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we've said this before. I mean, not too much at the moment. I mean, one of the things that we have done recently was that we went into this crisis with an underweight position in junk credit, so low rated credit. That played out in our opinion. So we were happy to, uh, to close that position and bring that back to neutral at a profit. So that was a, that was a good, a good trade from the team. And otherwise, it's really just sort of watching and really we're, we're very, yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're pleased with how the portfolios are holding up in amongst all of this volatility um, and actually the value of diversification. Uh, again, not just commodities, but investing across styles. You know, as you know, uh, we keep an equity foot in some of the dustier corners uh, of the equity market deliberately. And that has uh, that has been also very helpful in performance so far this year in these very uncertain times. And, you know, like we said before, you and I, this in a sense, you know, would increase the risk or the probability that what you're seeing in the years ahead is quite unlike from a macroeconomic, geopolitical, regulatory, all of those perspectives. What we've got in our road ahead, it looks quite unlike potentially the one in the rearview mirror. So that means you've got to think quite differently about the kind of assets that um, that you want to deploy in order to maximise your chances of beating inflation and, uh, you know, maximising your chances, the power of your yeah, of your savings. Beware past performance. That's the me- that's the message, really. As always, the regulator's right. Mm-hmm. So happy pretty much to stay fairly neutrally positioned then for the time being. Time being. Good. Thanks as always, Will. Good insights uh, as we navigate this uh, challenging period. Thank you also to our viewers and listeners for joining us. And if you would like to hear more from us before the next monthly market insights, please do seek out our weekly podcast, Word on the Street, where we share all of our latest views on the developments. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.